Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. When you really think about it, life can be pretty dangerous for your average tree. Trees may appear to be massive, immovable, and permanent, but there are real and numerous threats to their existence. Lightning can split a tree in two. Heavy rains combined with strong winds could uproot it. And of course, there are people with chainsaws to worry about. But an even greater danger could come in a smaller, more subtle, more unassuming form. Take the example of the emerald ash borer. Once this invasive bug takes hold in an area, every ash tree around could be dead within 10 years. The problem first arose in Michigan in 2002. And since then, experts have feared that by the time it's all said and done, 8.7 billion ash trees in North America could fall victim to the emerald ash borer. However, there are steps that one can take to ensure their tree's health. Certain pesticides can be used. Compromised trees can be quarantined. And other agricultural practices can be implemented to offset the emerald ash borer's impact. This month, we'll be studying Paul's letter to the Colossian Christians, discerning what it looks like to be healthy trees in terms of our faith. Paul uses agricultural images throughout this book. He speaks of believers in Jesus bearing fruit, growing into maturity, and yes, being rooted. We see that last bit of imagery in what may be the key passage of the entire book. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul says there, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How do we grow into healthy, fruitful, mature trees in terms of our faith? How do we weather the threats that could split, uproot, or chop us down? And what sort of small, unassuming, but deadly dangers should we be on the lookout for? Well, as we see this morning in chapter 1, it all starts with being deeply rooted. And the knowledge of who Christ is and the knowledge of who we are. So open up to Colossians chapter one, verse one. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the beautiful weather that so many of us have remarked on earlier this morning. Thank you for creation. Thank you for the changing of the seasons. Lord, I pray that in what really is a busy time of year, the month of June, with graduations, as we've mentioned, and big transitions, and yard work, and all sorts of plans, vacations, many other things, 
I pray that you would keep us firmly, deeply rooted in the knowledge of who Christ is and the knowledge of who we are. I pray that our study in Colossians over these next four weeks can assist in that. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we read chapter one this morning. I pray that you would build us up in our faith, in our love, in our obedience, in our worship for you. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the opportunity to read your word together. I pray that your spirit would give us wisdom, give us understanding as we read your word. Help us know you and your son better, that we might glorify you more. We love you. Again, we thank you and we praise you for our salvation in Christ, that we've been reconciled to you. We ask this all in his name. Amen. Colossae was once a wealthy, thriving, influential city in the Lycus Valley of Asia. But by the time Paul writes this letter in the late 50s to early 60s AD, which is some 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Colossae had been reduced to a relatively unimportant small town. It was overtaken by surrounding cities that must have been more smart, vibrant, and entrepreneurial. On top of that, a major earthquake struck Colossae right around the time that Paul wrote this letter, leaving the city in shambles. And this all had an impact on the fledgling church in that city. Epaphras, an associate of Paul who planted the church, must have been worried about its survival. And while Paul himself had likely never visited Colossae, and probably never met many of the people reading this letter, his preaching in Acts chapter 19 may be what led to the church's birth there. That's why one commentator calls Paul a sort of spiritual grandfather to these believers. And even if he hadn't met them, Paul cared for them. So what does Paul do when he detects a church at risk? Well, the same thing he always does. He writes a letter. The Christians reading this letter were probably predominantly Gentiles, meaning they were not Jewish. However, there were Jews present in Colossae as well. And those Paul's words in chapter 1 are mostly positive. You read this chapter, and it sounds like the church has got its act together pretty well. That doesn't mean that they don't have challenges. As we'll see next week in chapter 2, there are real dangers to this church's health. And while the threat may not seem all that intimidating at first glance... Like the emerald ash borer, it can prove deadly once it takes hold. But again, this morning, we're focusing on chapter 1. So let's start reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus 
and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. To be healthy trees in terms of our faith, we must be firmly rooted in the knowledge of who Jesus is, and the knowledge of who we are. Let's start with Jesus. What do we have to know about him? 
Well, first, he is the object of our faith. We see that in verse 4. Now, that sounds like Christianity 101, doesn't it? You don't have to be a believer in Jesus to recognize that Christians believe in Jesus. But it's important that those of us new to the faith, as well as those of us who have followed Jesus for decades, remember that our faith in and of itself does not save us. The object of our faith, Jesus, saves us. That's good to know. Because let's be honest, our faith isn't always perfect. It can be subjective. It can fluctuate. But the person and work of Jesus, that doesn't change. It never changes. The object of our faith saves us, not our faith on its own. Second, Jesus is the source of our hope, according to verse 5. Specifically, our hope is laid up in heaven. So no matter what happens to us in this life, we Christians have something to look forward to. Sometimes the best thing to remember when times are hard is simply this. It won't be like this forever. It won't be like this forever. Believers may not always have reason to be happy. We don't have to pretend that everything's peachy all the time as Christians. But we always have reason to be hopeful. And third, Jesus is our Redeemer, according to verse 14. In the New Testament world, words like redeem and redemption were used in connection to the practice of slavery. A redeemer was someone who paid the price to set a slave free. And in our case, we were slaves to sin. And as we see in verse 20, the price that Jesus paid for our redemption, for our forgiveness, was his blood on the cross. But finally, we would be remiss to talk about who Jesus is in Colossians chapter 1 without paying special attention to verses 15 through 20. This is a very unique passage. It may be a hymn that Paul is quoting in these verses. But in short, everything revolves around Jesus. Everything revolves around Jesus. He is the fullness of the image of God. When you look at him, you're looking at God. Jesus is eternal. That phrase, the firstborn of creation, refers not to a time when the Son came into existence, but to his preeminence over creation. He's more important, more superior to anything and everything else. The Son is uncreated and eternal. He always has been. Jesus is the head of the church, which is both a reference to his authority over the church and the fact that he is the church's source of life. 
And because Jesus is the head of the church, that's why someone like me can go on a sabbatical in the month of July. And the church will be okay because I'm not really in charge. And Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. He was the first to rise from the grave the way he did. But others, believers like you and me, will follow him in our own resurrection. So to be healthy trees in terms of our faith, we must be deeply rooted in this knowledge of who Jesus is. Because at the end of the day, everything revolves around him. A professing believer who doesn't know who Jesus is, is like a hollow log. It might have some things in common with a healthy tree. It's hard. It has bark. It's round. But it is so empty, so different, that it can't possibly be called a healthy tree. So if we claim to be Christians, Colossians 1 challenges us to center our lives around Jesus. If he really is the object of our faith, the source of our hope, and our redemption from sin, death, and judgment, then our lives must revolve around him. How can they not? And if you don't claim to be a Christian... Colossians 1 challenges you to either accept or reject Jesus. If Jesus really is who Paul says he is, the one before all things, in whom all things hold together, then the last thing you can do is remain apathetic or indecisive about him. So to be healthy trees in terms of our faith, we must be deeply rooted in this knowledge of who Christ is. But then there's the second part. We also must be deeply rooted in the knowledge of who we are. We might think about this in terms of our past, our present, and our future. Who were we in the past? For that, look at verse 21. Paul uses words like alienated, hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds. He says similar things in passages like Ephesians 2 and Romans 6. Sin leaves us dead. It leaves us captive to the world, the flesh, and the devil. It leaves us deserving God's wrath. Left to our own devices, sinners are weak and ungodly. Perhaps most frightening of all. We are God's enemies. But as dark as our past identity might sound, our present is bright in Christ. In verse 2, Paul calls the believers in Colossae a down-on-its-luck, insignificant, has-been-of-a-town. He calls these boring, normal people Saints. Saints. In verse 12, he calls us heirs. In verse 21, he says we are reconciled to God. 
By faith in Christ, we experience a complete change in status and identity. We're simply not the same people we once were. We've been moved from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. We don't have to stay in the darkness. Thanks to Christ. And if you think our present identity sounds good, just think about your future. Remember verse 5. We have a hope laid up in heaven. Remember verse 18. Because Christ rose, we too will rise. In verse 22, Paul says that one day we will be holy and blameless. Above reproach. In verse 28, Paul states his goal of presenting everyone mature in Christ. Now there's a sense in which these things can already be true about us. We can be holy right now. Blameless, above reproach, mature at this very moment. But there's another sense in which we're still looking forward to seeing these things in all of their fullness. Our presence in Christ is bright. We've been moved from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light right now. But our future in Christ is even brighter. So to be healthy trees in terms of our faith, we must be deeply rooted in this knowledge. Not just of who Christ is, but of who we are. That includes remembering who we were in the past. As unpleasant as that may sound. It means celebrating and embracing who we are right now by God's grace. And it includes eagerly looking forward to who we will one day be in God's presence. You know, identity is a loaded concept these days. We hear all kinds of conflicting messages about where a person's true identity lies. Factors like race, sex, economics, career, education, politics, cultural norms are all held up as the things that define us. And sure, those things all matter to some degree. They can all play a role in shaping our words, our actions, our thoughts, and our feelings. Those things don't necessarily disappear when we become believers in Jesus. But the point stands that as Christians... Our faith is at the very center of who we are. Every other fact about us pales in comparison to the importance of our identity in Christ. Remember what we said from verses 15 through 20. Everything revolves around Jesus. And that includes who you are. That includes who I am. So to be healthy trees in terms of our faith, we must be deeply rooted in the knowledge of who Jesus is and the knowledge of who we are. But keep in mind that that's just the starting point. What does this knowledge lead to? Think back to verse 10. It leads to walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. 
Remember chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Healthy, firmly rooted trees do stuff. They grow. They produce fruit. They provide shelter. And the same is true of deeply rooted Christians. We don't just know all this stuff in our heads. We do stuff as a result by the power of the Spirit. We don't just talk about this stuff on Sunday mornings, as important as that is. We walk every other day of the week. Being deeply rooted in Christ, knowing him and knowing ourselves as a result of who he is and what he has done, leads to something. It leads to transformed lives. We'll talk about that in more detail in the weeks ahead, especially when we get to chapter 3, if you want to look ahead. But for now, know this. Who we are shapes what we do. Who we are shapes what we do. The indicative, that's the reality of our identity in Christ, is the basis of the imperative the commands that we follow in obedience to Christ. We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord because we know the Lord. We don't try to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in order to know him. It's important that we don't get those two things mixed up. Again, we'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. Now, if you haven't noticed, Paul really emphasizes knowledge in Colossians 1. He wants these believers to know the word of truth and to grow and increase in the knowledge of God. But then, ironically, Paul closes the chapter by speaking about a mystery. Isn't that the opposite of knowledge? In the Bible, a mystery isn't so much something we have to figure out like Scooby and the gang discovering the identity of the crook dressed up as a ghost or trying to discern who killed the butler in the drawing room with a candlestick in the Bible. A mystery is something that was once unknown, but has now been revealed by God. And what is the mystery of Colossians one verse 27 Christ in you. The hope of glory. This glory is available to all who believe. Jew or Gentile, old or young, slave or free, rich or poor. That means that by God's grace, any dead, hollow, rotting log of a sinner can become a healthy tree. But it starts with being deeply rooted in the knowledge of who Jesus is and the knowledge of who you are. We must look to Jesus as the object of our faith, the source of our hope, and the agent of our redemption. Because only then can the sins of our past be forgiven. Only then can we become saints in the present. 
only then can we have the hope of glory in the future. So let Jesus have his rightful place at the center of your heart, mind, and life. Let everything revolve around him as it should be. Walk worthy of Christ by the power of the Spirit and be a healthy tree for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your church. Thank you that we have the privilege of being called your children, the privilege of being called saints, because that hasn't always been true of us. But by your grace, through faith in your son's body and blood, life, death, resurrection, we have hope laid up for us in heaven. Thank you that we have this new identity, that we are not stuck in the domain of darkness forever, but you transfer us, you deliver us to the kingdom of light. And that's not just something we look forward to some far off, distant place in the future, but that has an impact right now. So Lord, help us be healthy trees at this very moment. Help us bear fruit. Help us be deeply rooted in the knowledge of who you are and who we are as a result of your grace. Help us be mature and help us walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that you are the the master gardener who can take dry, dead sticks and hollow, rotting logs and make us into fruitful trees. Help us bear fruit for your glory. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for our redemption. We ask this all in Christ's name.